Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. What's going on here is beyond normal. It's completely extraordinary in a very positive way. Business brings the world together. It may be quite brutal, it may be quite you know, simple, it may not be very intellectual or, or refined, but there's something about the entrepreneurship. There are only two kinds of people, that the ones that are discouraged by failure and the ones that are encouraged by failure. And that's what makes the difference. It's Innovation in Europe by Project Kazimierz. Now another episode with your hosts Richard Lucas and Samuel Cook. Hello again, Project Kazimierz listener. My name is Sam Cook, and I'm here again with my co-host, as always, Richard Lucas. Richard, how are you doing? I would say good evening, but it might be morning wherever you're listening, so I'll just say hi. <laughs> well, Richard and I are enjoying a beautiful summer evening here in Krakow, Poland, uh, as is our both of our base of operations. And we're here today talking to uh, Peter Cowley from, uh, he's uh, the UK Angel Investor of the Year, a Cambridge-based technology entrepreneur, personal and corporate angel investor, charity, chair, trustee, mentor, and non-executive director, and says here in parentheses, dad. Um, so, uh, so really, um, Peter, one of the reasons uh, Richard asked, um, you know, suggests that we talk to Peter is, is really to talk about uh, this Polish obsession with Silicon Valley and uh, maybe try and break a little bit of that obsession with a uh, discussion with uh, Peter, who's from uh, Cambridge in, in the UK, which has a huge amount of uh, venture capital expertise, uh, angel investors, and also a great record of growing uh, multi-billion dollar or multi-billion pound uh, technology companies. So uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Richard here to do a little bit more of a detailed introduction of his friend here, Peter. Yeah, okay. So so I, I, I think I met uh, Peter for the first time after a Pembroke College Cambridge dinner in, I think it was the Eagle in, in Bennett Street. In it Cambridge. was, it was. The home of DNA, wasn't it? Wasn't uh, where uh, DNA uh, was? Yes. yes. Uh, the home of DNA. Talk yeah, about the, that. Yes. For, for anyone, for anyone who's, who had the privilege or the good fortune to studying in Cambridge University in the UK, the Eagle is somewhere that everyone everyone knows. But but it was interesting the way the way we met that I'd been in contact with a company called Arachnus in London and thought that I'd like to meet Peter. So I called up Arachnus and said, "Is Peter there?" Knowing full well that he wasn't, <laughs> and they said, "No, he's in Cambridge." And I said, "Oh, great. Uh, uh, well, uh, you know, how should I get in touch?" And they said, "Why don't you call him?" So then I called Peter's mobile and said. Uh, you know, I'm on my way to Cambridge. I heard from Arachnus that you were around, and you called me back very nicely. And I explained the situation. We met in a we met in a, after a after a Pembroke College dinner in in the bar. And it's a sign for anyone listening anywhere in the planet that if you're an angel investor and a stranger calls you up, you might end up having your first meeting at ten thirty in the evening in a in, in a Cambridge pub. <laughs> but but as a result of that. Um, uh, 
Peter invested in Vantage Power and then I invested in Syndicate Room. And I think rather than rather than me trying to explain who Peter is, it would be perhaps better if... And th this was three or four years ago, wasn't it, Peter? It was... Two, it was, yeah, probably four years ago now, four okay. summers ago, yeah. I, okay, so, and, and perhaps as well as introducing yourself as, as the Cambridge businessman, why don't, why don't you explain where you are right now? Where I am right now, or why? <laughs> At the moment, I'm actually in the Alps, in Les Arts, just sitting in a friend's uh, apartment, looking out over the Mont Blanc in the distance there. But I don't think that was quite the question, was it? <laughs> you mean where I am in life, I suspect. No, no, I actually, I th actually <laughs> think it's quite quite interesting for, for people listening to know that a Cambridge-based a Cambridge-based <laughs> angel investor ends up looking at my, it might even be motivating for people. <laughs> he's, he's been somewhat successful, right? <laughs> Uh, the guy that certainly the guy who's a part of Dayan has been somewhat more successful than me so far. Yes, well, that, 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 that's one of the things about an angel <laughs> investor is you're always hanging out with people who are more successful than you are. <laughs> yes, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This guy managed to sell his company about 17 years ago to um, a, a GC Marconi in the UK for four and a half billion dollars in cash. Now <laughs> I should point out, in case he ever listens to this podcast, that it had floated uh, floated on, on Nasdaq, and uh, he had a relatively small but still big enough percentage of that. So anyway, you don't, you, you, don't nice need, you, you don't need many many percentage points of four and a half billion to, <laughs> to, be, to be quite happy, right? Yes. Anyway, yeah, I've just spent a week with my wife just wandering along the, the med coast of France. We, we're just buying a house, actually, so we've uh, we managed to find a house in the mountains about 45 minutes from the sea and 45 minutes from the skiing in the Pyrenees. So that's my little bit of uh, <laughs> my success so far as an angel investor. Well, what you, what you do is you, what you do is you say you're doing your bit for the French economy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I should be buying somewhere in Greece. Then, yeah, exactly. You should, you should be down in Greece helping, exactly. helping the tourists, or Portugal, or Italy, or whatever. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, we're on holiday for a couple of weeks, so I've got I'm um, heading off from here to see my son who lives in Geneva, and in fact, I've had to fit in a meeting with a potential investor, quite a large potential investor, on a, a deal that I'm leading at the moment, which is an IoT deal, which you know nothing about, Richard, actually, uh, which I'm not going to try and sell to you at the moment because the round's already over full uh, but I'm doing well, that in, the, in, the, last, the last time you told me that I barged in on syndicate room <laughs> <laughs> you did successfully which round was that you, you probably had about a 5x on that already haven't you because you went in earlier I, I, so, I, I, I got in I think on the same not quite I, Peter, Peter always does better than everyone else <laughs> <laughs> so it's ah. not quite not quite as good as he did but but no I did get into syndicate room quite early and I uh, I, I feel that that's that's you. That was your thank you for Vantage Power. I hope. Oh yeah, no Vantage Power. Yes, there's lots of stuff going on there which you don't even know about because you're only a shareholder. <laughs> but I can tell you, we're not online. So um, yeah. So where, where do you want me to start? Just two well, 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 I think give you, give yourself the give yourself the sort of one or two minute bio so people know roughly. Yeah. Uh, do, do start with that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, if you if you connect, my I'm very open with. My investments and my background and life and everything. So, if you, in fact, the people just as an aside, the people who were buying the house from actually did some DD on on me and found I was Angel of the Year in the UK. And we were really quite frightened by that. I think <laughs> and how hard I would negotiate, which was actually the case. And we negotiated harder than we probably should have done. But anyway, that's another story. My background: uh, engineering, computer science at Cambridge. Then joined a corporate in uh, London for a little bit, working on microcomputers, which was um, mid, this was mid seventies. So it shows how old I am. 
then from that, I joined a small supplier in Bavaria. So I spent five years out in su southern Bavaria, so south of Munich and just north of Innsbruck, um, working initially with one company who was then uh, was sold off to another company. And then we, uh, I did my first startup there back in 81, um, rugged computer equipment for the SME, the Mittelstand was that in Germany. Was that GERCOM? It was GERCOM, yes. Well done. Gerritz Reed Computers, or German Computers, based in Gerritz Reed. Um, and that grew. Uh, I had, uh, so I was a founder of that. And then uh, Matthew, who lives in Geneva, we're seeing in a couple of days, uh, was born 31 years ago. And I decided to come back to the UK and set up a company called CamData, which I still have after 30 years. So it's had its ups and downs, um, which is a technology company, which is just a lifestyle business, but I really enjoy running it. Um, so I came back to the UK, and uh, I'm going to skip forward a whole stack of things. Things, but uh, I've set up a dozen businesses over the years, mainly in technology and property development. And property development is where I've made more money so far than in technology. I've also been heavily involved in um, charities, social enterprise um, over the last 15 years or so. And things happen in life, don't they? I ended up back in Cambridge after 25 years away and then got re-embedded in the Cambridge system, which, or not system, they came sort of in Cambridge, uh, which took a while and got to. I'd, and my first experience of ancient investing was um, I was mentoring uh, a guy who'd done computer science at Cambridge and decided to co-found, it wasn't really ancient investing, but co-found a little consultancy company that turned into a product company that was then sold to a Cambridge company called Redgate, which is about 300 people privately owned. Um, and he went on to better things because um, he then set up a company and got on to Y Combinator in the States. So having we, the Silicon Valley will have to come into this conversation, I'm afraid, and then sold his business to LinkedIn and then came back to Cambridge, though, to uh, to write books on big data, etc. But that gave me an appetite for ancient investing. And I got to know, uh, initially, the guy actually owns this flat better, Robert Sampson, and then moved on to um, joining the Cambridge Angels. And then, you know, lots happened in the last five years, which got me to be Angel of the Year, which is not, I must point out, based on success, exit success. It's based on one's activity, one's willingness to promote, to evangelize, to teach, etc. In, in Angel, Angel Investor, the previous Angel Investor, Rajat, um, I, I've known well, he's a he's a, another Cambridge graduate, as it turns out, um, taught me a lot about, you know, <coughs> well, actually, we co-invested a lot of things. Roger, you don't know Roger, I don't think, Richard, do no, you, I Richard? I haven't met him that, that No, no, he, he, he's actually invested in Arachnus, but not in Vantage Power, in fact. Um, uh, and then moved on. I'm on, the, I'm on the investment committee of the Angel Co-Fund, which is 100 million of government, of taxpayers' money in the UK, co-investing in Angel deals. Um, I'm a fellow of the Judge Business School in Cambridge, Management School. Um, dot, dot, dot. It's all on my website. Yes, it, <laughs> is it, that it, it is. And we, we, we have uh, show notes uh, or, or sort of like links that go out with the podcast. So... Um, when, when we publish this podcast, we'll also have links back to to your website. And as as you say, it's uh, you're you're very transparent and it's it's very detailed. And you know, one one of the things that um, I think is interesting to focus on is the fact that you said you're an angel investor of the year, not because you're successful. <laughs> and um, I I I also feel that you know, my humble age of forty nine that I I haven't like exactly made it yet and last last weekend i was lucky enough to be in lviv or lviv in in ukraine um and i was 
doing a workshop and talking about Richard and Morris McDonald and how Ray Ray Kroc, who bought the McDonald's franchise from the McDonald's, was 52 years old when he started. And, you know, the, 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 the question of what one means by success is is something that's really interesting because so many people have got so many different definitions and you know do, do you do you sort of feel that your 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 success moment is ahead of your have you have you made it is the flat in the the the, the place in france <laughs> the the definition because i i think that you know, don't don't forget one of the beauties of this this podcast format is that this can be listened to by a, a smart 13 year old in zimbabwe or a, a 79 year old in in, in azerbaijan it's, well, we it, have a lot of vietnam listeners for well, some reason we, so. we, 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 we we get the data of where people listen but but imagine you know imagine being listened to by someone who has absolutely no idea who you are or what your life is like and, and what your what your definition for success is because you're not investing just for fun there is a reason right Absolutely, yes. Um, yes, what is success? I mean, the journey is, is the most interesting part of it. I mean, at the end of it, one is, or presu- one hopes, we all hope as angels, that we, at least we don't lose all our money. But we least we get a, okay. a, a one. Yes. My comment here is that the, the basic criteria of business success is you've got more money afterwards than when you started. <laughs> exactly, when you started. Yes. <laughs> That's at least exactly. one. But in, in the meantime, of course, investing in uh, illiquid, you know, not, not quoted shares means your, your money's tied up. There's no way you can get your money out. It's completely different from any other, other form of, you know, stock market or, or in the banks or bonds or whatever. So once your money's in, that's it. You've just got to wait and you can wait anything up to a dozen years or more before anything will come out. I mean, it, it must be said, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, that the, the failures occur earlier on. So you will lose money well before you start to make money unless you're incredibly lucky. So no, no, the success... You know, as, as a sort of well, you can probably work out from certainly work out from where I'm sixty in about ten weeks' time, actually, and um, so I've spent some time in the last year wondering where I'm going in life, and I've had the ably assisted by a wonderful um, life coach, Katie, um, who no doubt will listen to this at some point. And uh, yeah, but you, better, you better be careful what you say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> she's used to this, and you saw my blog the other day. She got mentioned in that. So. Um, uh, hopefully, you saw my job blog, maybe. Um, so yeah, so I'm sort of re, I'm, I'm sort of aiming for 65 as a round number and, and working towards something at that point. Now, what that life looks like, I don't know, but I do know absolutely that I'll, I'll enjoy the whole of the journey through to the next five years, as, as I have most of the last, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Um, so success isn't necessarily monetary. It's um, it's the enjoyment out of helping build businesses to not just the, the the people that you know one helps on the way, but also the businesses themselves, the markets, and all the challenges that one goes through on those journeys. Well, Peter, one of the things that I'm really interested in, you know, you and you and Richard are sitting here having a. Uh, an inside conversation between angel investors and um, I'm earlier in my business career where I'm, I'm still working on my, my, um, uh, my own company with, with the, you know, I think definitely looking at investing in the future after potential success in, in a, in a business would be a great, um, you know, future, but, you know, I think the Polish entrepreneur scene is very young, uh, especially in terms of investors. And Richard is well known here in Krakow as one of the original 
investors in the Krakow business scene and, and someone who, who people give a lot of credit to whether or not they've given them the money back yet uh, for helping uh, found this business scene here. So um, what led you into becoming an angel investor? Because uh, angel investor of the year doesn't necessarily bestow financial rewards and um, it's a very illiquid and probably quite risky and stressful um, form of investment. So wh- why would you go into that? I- I'd love to have a conversation with you, well, Richard, about yeah. the motivations. Richard, do you, do you want to say something or was I going to say something? Well, when I, when I was in uh, Ukraine last weekend and, you know, the, the I said eight days ago, we're on the, I think we're on the 13th of July, 2015. We have to also be aware of the fact that someone might be listening to this a hundred years from now it's also possible they might have other things to do <laughs> there's no guarantee but but you know assuming there's the there are towns and countries named after you peter and your 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 legacy lives on no no but in, I, I i have sort of like three three watchwords which are you know have fun make money and be useful and i think that you know angel investing it's not always fun. Um, it doesn't always make money, and it's not always useful. But if you're spectacularly bad at it, you won't achieve any of those things. But but, the, but there's a there's a sense if you if you've run your own business that this is a way of somehow deploying the experience you've got um, in a way that's much much more useful than simply giving advice. That you know in the in the in the bus- the aid business, and I was. Uh, one of the less happy times of my life was when I was working for PA Cambridge Economic Consultants, which was co-owned by PA Consulting Group, doing aid work in Eastern Europe. We were giving advice, but there was absolutely no capital to implement any of the advice we were giving. And the, the nice thing about angel investment is that you, on the one hand, you're giving people something that they they're aware that they desperately need, which is money, but you're also bundling it together with with advice which which you hope they're going to take <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, and and so but but you know advice without money isn't much use it's like it's like no what without no how uh, and uh money and, and and money without advice is also pretty dangerous so you know at least there's the hope that that it gives you a chance to use what you know as well as use what you've made yeah, you've got to bear in mind, though, that angel investor now means a lot of different things. And I was on a panel the other day discussing exactly this at the UK BAA, the Business Agent Association annual conference, where I had to hand over my halo to my successor, who's a guy actually, <laughs> Michael Bakey. You might even know Michael Bakey. You, you introduced yeah. me from uh, the, 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 the Sainsbury, Michael, yeah? Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, I did introduce you about a retail thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there are really, I mean, that very quick history lesson, the, the term angel came from the 1850s, 1860s, which were people invested in uh, plays. So they invest, put money up front so the, the stage could be uh, could have the props onto it, the, the, the theatre could be rented and the cast could be paid until it became live. Once it was live and, and then it, it was a success, then they'll get their money back several times. And if it wasn't, they, it would probably close after a week or two and they'd lose their money. So those, those are the original angels, which is 150 years ago. Move forward now we, we, with business angels and there are really three sorts of business angels there's the angels like you or I Richard who put lots of effort in we enjoy what we're doing we sit on boards we connect we advise and so on there's a set of sort of passive angels who hang around 
the active ones investing, but they do it face to face and they'll meet the entrepreneurs. And then, of course, in the last two years, probably three years max, is the, the crowd. And these are people who will have probably have no contact whatsoever with the entrepreneurs. They won't, um, the, all the due diligence they'll do will be online and they're putting in money, but they're still important to the ecosystem. Whereas, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this conversation. I should, I should really no, no, what I'm trying okay, to say. I, 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 okay, we, I think we, you migrated the question of what's your motivation into the discussion of what is an angel, <laughs> <Yes>. which, <laughs> okay. which, well, which is there's, there's, there's no problem with migration. <laughs> but but um, the, we, it's a good job we're not on the Today program where, where you've got to like get the Today program, for those who don't know, is the the the, ra- the the mainstream national radio channel where you you have fifty five seconds to get across your combined wisdom. <laughs> Fortunately, we're not under that time pressure. But but you know, the the question coming back to what your motivation was, I talked about mine, and you were you, and I completely agree with you that the the sort of crowdfunding, whether it's whether it's Syndicate Room or or, or Crowdcube or any of the other crowdfunding platforms you know there are lots of people who can call themselves an angel but that's a little like saying what is an entrepreneur right you know an entrepreneur can be a a guy selling bananas in the high street right yeah yeah so yes i I remember that i now remember the question (laughs) the question was you you answered your part of it and my and mine is is identical isn't it to yours richard we we do it because we really enjoy it we do it for the fun we do it we don't do it for the downs that much and um we've just got one at the moment well we've got always got ones around we've got a 20x down round that's just going around by email this week that's that's not much fun when you you invest at 60p and it comes out as 3p in the next round Uh, (laughs) yes this sort of wonder well they said this they say it's like tearing up five pound notes in a hailstorm right <laughs> yes yes um but but the up the ups are excellent you know the growing businesses growing businesses without actually having to have necessarily an executive role or you know not even necessarily if you come in as an angel or as a non-exec director you don't you're not there every day you don't there's there's an awful lot of grief you don't have to see and having had 30 odd years 35 years of grief to some extent running businesses that that's is very relaxing compared with, you know, uh, having to f- fire a load of people or, you know, having to sack a customer or something. Uh, and so b- being that slightly being slightly distanced from it, it's is actually more enjoyable than being in there with the cut and thrust of the business. Yeah, I, I, I actually it's, it's now uh, uh, 2155 in Krakow and seven hours ago I was, fi- I was firing someone. I guess that <laughs> given the time, the, the time lag and he's probably not the person who follows me on on the project Kashmir's uh, podcast I, I but it, it's it's a stress in fact he took it very well but you know you, you do do things as a, an entrepreneur that you know I think that the image of the hero entrepreneur based around watching you know the Hollywood movies they leave out all the nasty stuff oh, they, they leave out a lot of the nasty stuff and so 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 you, you regard your entrepreneurial journey as one of sort of toil and tribulation did you have any happy moments as an entrepreneur um yes i had lots of happy moments i made loads of friends out it long life lifelong friends it, not just my staff but also suppliers and customers um i had lots of successes but i had some pretty nasty failures as well i mean cam data went bust 
uh, had nearly 30 people then back in 1991 uh, because the UK recession, not sure where it was, where, but the listener was, but the late 80s, early 90s where interest rates in the UK went up to about 17% and all CapEx got switched off throughout all industries. It was incredibly tough, really, really mentally tough. I, I resurrected the business and it stayed very small since then, but that was very painful. Another example is where I was building three houses speculatively um, uh, borrowing a huge amount of money from all kinds of directions, including credit cards and everything. And 9-11 happened. You know, 9-11, you know, what is the, what's, what's happening next? Where will the world end up from this point? Um, there was nothing one could do about that except just hope. Uh, and as it turned out, everything recovered in the UK and we, we carried on and uh, we, I sold those houses. But no, of course, there's huge ups and huge downs. Um, uh, I certainly don't want to make a list of those, uh, but it's all part of life, isn't it? You know, I, I know the, the the way I see it is that you know everyone has some. I mean, this is my personal story, and I don't think that it necessarily makes sense for everyone. But I think it's worth people who are listening. Who I think the sort of the hero startup entrepreneur is quite a powerful sort of global global image now, and it's it's well worth puncturing to some extent that. You know, this is a life where your work is more important to you than normal. That if it's your business or you're a shareholder in the business, you can't just drop it when you go home, and um, or at least if you do drop it, you're being very stupid. <laughs> so, so it's like, it, and you know, it, given how many hours of our, our our day, week, and month, and year, and life we spend working, it's actually better. It's a better way to live to be more engaged with what you do than. Than not, so I, I thoroughly recommend it, even if it's a bit different. But, but do you find, Peter, that for you it makes it hard to engage with people who have jobs they don't like? That that it sort of impacts on your impacts. So it's quite hard to put yourself in the shoes of someone who just has a, a regular job they don't care about. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mix with many of those sort of people. <laughs> yeah. Never have done. So. <laughs> so, so if you're one of those people, <laughs> yes. if you're don't out there listening, way. Peter's yes. not going to be your friend. <laughs> yes. But one chooses one's friends, doesn't one? So, yeah. yeah, but not necessarily. They may choose you and so like. Yeah. Oh, maybe. It's, it's only the family you can't choose, isn't it? But that's, that's not a, a, a jibe with any particular family member of mine, don't worry. Um, uh, so no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do struggle with that. I've got, of course, I've got friends from university in the same way as you have, Richard, who've been through standard lives. People who've been chartered surveyors, people boring, been, ordinary, uh, dull. Yeah, and they, exactly. And there is little. I mean, I'm thinking one particular one, and he won't listen to this. <laughs> I'll send him a link. <laughs> he says some great stuff in in architectural work, in in including for the, the Tate Modern. So he's done lots of stuff. But if you look at his life, he joined the company when he was 22 or something, and he's retiring at 62. So he's had 40 years with the same company. Um, so no, I do. I I struggle to relate to those people. That's just why I, you know, I end up surrounding myself with either with the angels who, particularly the ones who've been had entrepreneurial careers, or the entrepreneurs themselves. So those are the people I really like to mix with and like to spend time with. Yeah, one of the other one of the other people we interviewed already for this uh, podcast, Ella Made, who I think is, I think her podcast has already gone out. Um, we were chatting about this issue and had the idea of like an entrepreneurial kibbutz or an entrepreneurial community. Where 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 the, 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 there'd be people like us would go and live live in a sort of commune, <laughs> where where and it turns out it already exists that this has started happening in America that people who because I I remember the first time it really hit me was when I was talking about annual holidays and here in Poland there's a very generous social 
social, it's a legacy of communism where you get 23 rising to 26 days of paid holiday a year. Plus in Poland, it's a religious country. So we, and for those listening in 2000 years from now, religion was something that existed <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at this time. Anyway, anyway uh, but, the, but the point was that, um, you know, we were, we were dis- dis- discussing this and um, uh, we, I was saying that, you know, it's crazy. You pay people, you, you call it a year's salary and you don't get a year's salary. Here in Poland, it's 26 paid days of working holiday plus 14 Satan, saints days. They ought to call it a, a 10-month salary because mm. it's crazy. You pay for you pay for a year and you only get 10 months. Uh, and I was being, people looked at me like I was completely crazy as if, you know, how, how dare you suggest that the annual holiday is something that's quite quite unfair. But, you know, right now I'm really struggling with two of my director's on on vacation right now and you know it's very difficult to run my business with the holiday yes yeah yeah well that's yeah i've been to been that's that i don't know how big your company is i can't remember you probably told me but if you take um the, the, when it goes be, there's sort of a point at about 25 to 30 people where the entrepreneur will struggle somewhat or start to struggle with that where there's a, a management team in below them we, we won't have the same motivation of course as the entrepreneur entrepreneurial founders uh, and uh, you know, and that probably happens again in in the low hundreds. But I've, I personally, in all my years of being around, have not experienced that. So, um, and I'm not particularly looking forward to it either. No. If I if it still involves in a company that's got a hundred people. Yeah, well, you should talk to your life coaches about that because it, it, may, <laughs> it may become. What, what's your what's your life coach called? Katie, Katie, Tunsa, T U N C E R. T-U-N-C-O. Well, maybe yeah, she's a, she's a very interesting story. I can tell you very briefly. Uh, Keys graduate in Cambridge. Uh, McKinsey co- McKinsey's performance coach for the Met Police in London. Interesting stories there. And she now coaches for um, the sports industry in the UK, not for sportsmen, but for the management. And in the meantime, she had a little startup called Ready Steady Mums, which is why I got involved in in, in I, me helping her. In return, she noticed there was something wrong with my life. Like I refused to. Say no to anything, so, so she's she's got me saying no. I, I, think, I, I think I think I think we should talk to our mothers because I suspect we might have a strong genetic connection. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Although the timing doesn't really work, but you know, I always say that one of the reasons my life looks the way it does is that I keep on saying yes <laughs> to any kind right. of strange proposal. But but um, and let's let's try and draw this back towards technology because I I think that you know the 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 the, the point about what we're doing is to try to give people sort of valuable lessons about what sort of things are worth doing both and clearly in an ideal world there's a there's a harmony between what the investor wants and what the entrepreneur is doing and when 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 you're considering uh, an idea to invest in and uh, anyone who's listening go to peter peter Cowley dot is it org or com, Peter? It's org. PeterCowley.com okay. Peter is the guy that brought Big Brother into the UK. So. Okay. okay, well, PeterCowley.org, which makes you sound like the United Nations or an NGO. <laughs> <laughs> I do it for charitable reasons, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yes, PeterCowley.org. Yeah. Internet- I, I don't know why you peeled with laughter at the idea of .org, but, but, the, but when, you, when you're looking at a technology-based business, what and without sort of going into the spreadsheets and the cash flow projections, what what are the things that are really important for you to to make you 
feel excited, interested, you know, this actually might be something that would work. Let's say before you've met the people, you've just seen... Yeah, okay. Yeah, obviously the people are going to come first, but if we ignore the people, it's not the technology. It's not the technology at all. It's it's the market and and the, the disruption they're going to cause in the market, assuming the market exists, or the market they're going to create. That's what matters. The technology is unlikely to excite me at that point it, it will start to do because i'm a bit of a geek later on particularly when i met the people but it's not that really that matters it's the fact that they can actually generate a monetizable uh, product which is very european i know uh, this is probably you know my german background you know, having five years there and, and uk you know if you go to silicon valley they don't look at monetization at all do they look at that very much later on you just back something and know that or not know but assume that monetization will will appear if it's needed to, but if you look at WhatsApp, they had was about what was that about a 40x revenue or something that sold for bad example, probably because there won't be many of those around. But um, now I, I need to see that, that they, will, they will at some point in the first n years, where n is a pretty small number, be, be generating cash from customers, and that probably is less than one for that, and then some sort of break even, you know, where that's probably less than three or four. You know, where the cash isn't required any longer except to really speed up growth. So it's the market really rather than the tech. Although I do ha- tend to fall in love with tech occasionally, which I really shouldn't do. So, so, so it's the market, um, because, you know, for, for me it's the problem. It's like that, you know, and, the, and I, when I lose money it's because I assume that other people have my problems. <laughs> and there isn't, yeah, I, I feel that I'm in a small minority with people who have the same same problems as me, but... You know, if if I get, but one thing is, you know, certainly how how on earth is it going to going to get make money? And I was actually looking at a business plan. It wasn't even a business plan. It was a you know a, a strange PowerPoint presentation describing describing some combination between shopping and the lottery. Where I think the, <laughs> I think it was I think the idea was that you know on the one hand you have people who might go to a gaming uh, go buy tickets for a national lottery. On the other hand, on the other hand, you had Amazon, and somehow you're going to sort of like marry up the experience of buying lottery tickets with the experience of being Amazon, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't fathom why yeah. this would die. If people wanted to win the lottery, they wouldn't be happy getting a toaster, and if you were Amazon, you you wouldn't be happy hoping that someone might win a toaster. But but <laughs> but, but but it's a sense of sense of a very clear problem. About, yes, exactly. Uh, where, where, where someone will be thrilled to have a solution. Uh, have you no, have you noticed that those problems are getting more difficult to find now? There's an there's an awful lot of similar stuff floating around. The, you know, the, the power of the internet. When we move on to Internet of Things and and other hardware solutions, which I know Eastern Europe is particularly good at, the um, then then other applications have come out. But I'm just seeing the same old loyalty type. Um, solution inverted commas or something that's improving uh, the date the ability for a e-commerce shop to understand its customers better using technology etc I mean that's a very very difficult thing to crack and, and there are a lot of people working on it but I've just seen far too many similar type um, um, ideas floating around do you I, find I, the same I, I, I totally agree I mean I, I think that you you're probably more exposed, and and this is again something that I think is really valuable for people based in in, in Central Europe, in in Krakow, in Poland, to be aware of just how 
smaller subset of global problems that we experience here. But, you know, I noticed that, you know, the people who've got interesting ideas tend to be deeply exposed to a niche that three or four days ago, I was talking to a guy who does air conditioning systems for nuclear power stations, and they were having problems with their documentation, like how you how you document your 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 systems design. And, and they said, it's crazy. You have like plotters, you know, these big sort of a, I don't know, A1 plotters printing out descriptions of what you're meant to do. And you've got engine and it's keeping track of who's got which diagrams because, you know, you've got you've got these engineers on fabulously high salaries wandering around a nuclear power station and you really don't want them carrying the wrong diagram. <laughs> and, and, you know, once I, with that, we didn't get to, and this guy was a potential business partner, not a, not a, a a startup guy with an with a business idea, but but once you sort of think, well, this guy actually knows about the problems of people who have to do maintenance in nuclear power stations. I bet there really are problems there, and I bet there aren't that many people trying to solve them. Whereas if you're in a regular consumer business, like you know people going shopping in Tesco or or Auchan or you know there's any number of people exposed to problems, and the, the chances that there's no one working on it anywhere are really quite small. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but having said that, there is still a market. I believe if one is not all companies need to be global, and if you've got if you can, if there's a market say in Eastern Europe of which say it's comprised of seven or ten countries that's just in those countries that that will be good enough to turn into a decent sized business in in many areas, something that's specific. So one doesn't have to think globally for everything. So what I'm saying is potentially taking a copying something that's already in the states and dropping it. The idea not not all the technology and not the team or anything, and dropping the idea, even into, into Poland, say, there will still be a decent business to be made out of that. And, well, you made it out of um, handheld barcodes, didn't you? Scanners. You made quite a lot of money off that, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, you're still working on it, right? I, I mean, it's, it's certainly the case that we're making money. It's certainly the case that I didn't invent the barcode. <laughs> exactly, yes. So there's a business there, isn't there? Well, yeah, anyway. No, 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 no. But I mean, but the, you know, the, the, the challenge, I, I mean, this is the. I don't, I don't know if you heard that back in February 2015, um, for anyone listening in the dim and distant future, um, I, I went back into the leadership role of being the CEO of the barcode systems company and. You know, there are things we're making ourselves. But one of the challenges of that business is, from a sort of fundamental point of view, is we don't really have our own products. We have the, the the pleasure and the privilege and the joy of being partners of global corporations like Honeywell and Zebra, both of which are revenue stretched into the tens of billions. And, you know, they're important as vendors. Their customers are important, but you know our, our business model is very dependent on other people's business models, which is a little bit like I don't know. People might have heard of a company called Zinger, which made a game called Farmville, and Zinger was very, very successful within the Facebook ecosystem. But once Facebook changed its rules, Zinger was almost out of business, and I think there are a lot of businesses which have tremendous dependencies on other businesses and I, I set up these businesses 20 years ago so it's you know it's not at that stage I had the insight but it's very important to have some something that you're good at that's hard to be taken away from you yeah that's right exactly defensibility yeah well Peter one of the one of the things that I think a lot of uh, you you mentioned in there that you don't need to be global uh, to make um, a good business but the 
you know, you you came to Krakow or you came to um, Poland a few years ago, I think, in Bitspiration. And one of the things that struck me as I've been here is the uh, tremendous um, aspirations of the business here to, to reach that global market. And we're seeing that with some of the venture capital funds here in Krakow with, with Innovation S and some of the other ones. Um, while you say you don't need to go global to have a good business, what would you recommend that Eastern European, Central European businesses do and look for? Because I think some of your earlier comments showed that maybe things are getting a little bit stagnant in terms of the innovation. Yeah. Well, first of all, one's got to decide how big you want the business to be. And not everybody can produce another Facebook, clearly, or another Google. So, you know, if you if you as an individual, as a team, are looking for, uh, I don't know if you heard this term, the sort of car-changing, house-changing, life-changing amounts of money on an exit. Um, I mean, for most people, it would be life-changing, I'm sure, as an entrepreneur. But as an angel investor, you may be a smaller amount there. But, yeah, they, they ought to look at it in terms of their life. Are they wanting to build a business to which they can pass on to their children or grandchildren, etc.? Are they wanting to build a business that they want to exit within a number of years, which is you will have to say yes to that if you want angel investing. You can't say we're going to build a lifestyle business because angels will run away a mile. So, uh, you know, if they're wanting to build a business that, say, has a revenue, say, say it sells for 50 million euros, they've probably got revenues of 30, 20, 30 million euros at that point. Uh, what's that business going to look like? Does, how far outside the boundaries of the country that it's formed in does it need to be, if at all, you know. So it's really a matter of not always just going for the stars. Go for something that's uh, going to achieve what you want out of that part of your life. And many entrepreneurs are sort of between the ages of 25 and 35 and almost certainly will become serial entrepreneurs. So they could probably allocate 10, maybe 15 years maximum if it's successful to that business before moving on to something else. And you don't need to grow a billion dollar business in that time to have a massively difference in your lifestyle. And, and the risk in going for the million, billion dollar business is the chance are you're going to fail even more than you would for a 50 billion euro business. And therefore, you know, temper your, your, your dreams. It's, a, it's brilliant. I, I, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's such an interesting perspective that, yeah, the, because the the Silicon Valley narrative is go for the big one, right? The and you know, of course, the unicorn. The, uh, yeah, if, if, uh, yeah. The, do, do you know the phrase the unicorn? Of course, I do. Yeah. Okay. The unicorn is the company. It's a startup that's worth more than a billion dollars. For anyone uh, listening who doesn't know that, I, I only came across it recently and was a little suspicious as to if it wasn't some sort of bad nightmare or we're a bit handicapped by not knowing what people have heard already but I, I certainly think that you know from, from my point of view the point of a business is to make customers happy and make money and if if along the way you reach a situation where you know you reach a business that's worth a, a hundred million or a billion or tens of billions or hundreds of billions good for you but you know, it's no, it's by no means a failure if you've got very happy customers and you're making five million pounds a year profit. From my perspective, that's a huge success. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you don't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
So build a business up. And in fact, as I was saying earlier on, again, they might have heard, uh, the listeners might have heard, if you do want to, to create a lifestyle business, one that you can be running for 10 or 15 or 20 years, don't, uh, don't, it's difficult to get angel investors involved in that because they usually want a capital exit. Now, having said that, there are angels out there and, and to some extent, the less sophisticated angel investors who just want a, a dividend, they want a, a regular income from a, from a business. Um, so there are angels around who don't just want to see an exit occurring, but there, are, there aren't that many of them in the UK. Yeah, my, 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 my American business partner, Kevin Fontakidis, or Kimon Fontakidis, who, I, I don't know if I told you about this, Argos, Argos Translations is rebranded as Argos Multilingual, and we acquired a company in the States bigger than, bigger than we are, and it's doing incredibly well. You know, he, he always said, when, when you're making a profit, you've always got options. And I, I think there's a really powerful lesson in that, that in, if you're if at the end of the year you've got more money than you started with, you're not on that sort of frightening runway of running out of cash in a, in a few years' time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Having, having cash there also means you don't have to raise money uh, at times you don't want to do, which is always a problem with the journeys of these investors. You know, with Arachnus, we've been lucky. We've always raised money on the way up, so there haven't been a down round, but I've got plenty of examples around. In fact, there's another one that appeared in my inbox while I've been speaking about another company that's looking like a down round, one of my other portfolio. And that's, of course, one of the advantages in terms of learning and one of the disadvantages uh, in terms of just the size of my portfolio, that there are always, there's always activities happening, good and bad. Okay. In in terms of, I I think that we're going to wrap this soon. But I, I I'd I'd love to share with uh, our listeners what what the annoying features of a founder. Like if if you, think, <laughs> if you think if you think about the things that really really annoy you from people who found businesses um, that either you're considering investing in or you you have invested in and you wish you hadn't because they're so annoying. I, I think yeah. that, I think because I th- British people aren't particularly good at expressing their emotions, but <laughs> but when when it's not face to face, yeah, this is your op- opportunity to say the, the three or four things that you should not do if you want to really really annoy. <laughs> piss well, pe- piss people yeah. off. maybe not. I mean, I can probably condense those into two. Really. One is lying. 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 Being found out whilst lying, whatever the reason is, during the um, the process of doing DD, is ter- it can be really, I mean, it, it will almost certainly it would certainly lose my ability to invest. I'd, I'd pull out. We had one, for instance, where there was a pattern that was so similar. This is a cryptographic piece of software. was so similar that they hadn't bothered to tell us. It wasn't a free and operate issue, but there was definitely... It would have got to the case, the point where this company had to sue the company would have bashed investment. Now, that was, could be argued that it was part of the DD, but they should have pointed that out at the beginning. Other letters, as earlier on, is where they've had a, a failed business before, but where they claim it was um, a success. And then the other big one is being able to listen. It's so important that. You, Richard, and everybody else, we're not always right by any means at all, but you do want not just focus straight on, on the path. 
most of the listeners will have heard of something called pivoting, which is where a business changes direction. Doesn't pivot completely, isn't going through through 360 degrees, but there's a change of direction. It's so important that the entrepreneurial team will listen not just to the the older, grayer, white, you know, wise-haired people, uh, wise wise people around, but also the market specifically. You know, listen to listen to the customers and then change direction with what the customers need. So having all, you know, this is a combination of emotional intelligence and and um, not having any or much arrogance. But having said that, entrepreneurs need to be very single-minded and they need to bulldoze their way through things um, if they're going to achieve something, which, yeah. you know. And I'd, I'd also give it, um, part, uh, I, I hope that some of the people listening here are either existing or potential entrepreneurs. I'd also say flip it around that, that lying and being able to listen to things that you want to have from your your angel investors, and you might you might think, well, if the guy gives me twenty five thousand bucks, I can put up with him being a liar and having no interpersonal skills. But you will regret it within the next five to ten years if you've got an you've got an investor on your board who's a liar or who can't listen because it's worse than a marriage, isn't it? That you know, they're there and they're there forever, right? Exactly. Yes, you can. You can. You can dissolve a marriage, but you cannot dissolve uh, the 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 contract you have between the investor and the and the the, the company or the the entrepreneur. Um, and you're exactly right. Doing the DD. I was this one. I, I mentioned earlier on where I'm going to meet the guy. In fact, this second guy now in in Geneva in a couple of days' time. They did a huge amount of DD on me. <laughs> Much more than I thought. I gave them three names of, of uh, including Vantage Power, including Alex at Vantage Power. And they they went around and they had a look because it's all on my website. They went around and picked some other CEOs just checking up on me before they'd even talked to. So, no, it's very, very important. And that's what I'm doing on, on, in Geneva. I'm checking out my potential co-investors. So it's not just me and the entrepreneurs. It's me and the rest of, of the, the, um, the investors because I know what it's like if you know, things get tough. These, these, you know, you've got to understand how badly some people can behave in that, those circumstances or as, as well as you can work that out. Yeah, and you've led, you've led to a point which I think is well worth people noting, which is taking references in both directions. It's always a very good idea to ask someone who you're considering investing in, yeah, is there anyone who knows you well, who you've done business with for a number of years, with whom I can take a reference? And sometimes the body language answers the question. <laughs> you, you, you know before they've, even, before they've even responded that there's an issue, right? Because you see the sort of the weird eye movements and they think they've been rumbled. And, you know, I, I, I remember, a, a, I, I can't possibly name him, name him online, but... There was someone who claimed they'd made hundreds, they'd had hundreds of startups, and I asked him for some examples. And you know, I'm 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 49 years old, and this guy was 30, and I can't say I've done hundreds of startups. And I asked him, could he? And I asked, I, could, and I actually was so curious. I asked him for his CV, and I said that he might want to work in one of my startups. And then during the job interview I, I said so 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 how many how many salespeople reported to you and he said how many and he said hundreds <laughs> and you know the idea of someone having hundreds of reports is beyond ludicrous I said well how yes. many how, how many how many sales did they handle again handle each day and he said ten and <laughs> I guess he got a hundred times ten, and then I said, "Well, <laughs> and, and I, what was your conversion rate?" And he said, "Yeah." Uh, and I said, "Well, what you know of those proposals? How many did you lead to an offer?" And he said, "Oh, ten. 
So it's just like it was complete nonsense. But uh, but and no clue, no, 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 and he was lying. Yeah. But but apart yeah. from apart from the two issues you've made of of lying and of listening, yes, I I, I I'd certainly add another uh, uh, the thing that annoys me, which isn't a deal breaker is the entrepreneur who believes that the only thing I've done in my life is investing in his business. And so, you know, he imagines that at the drop of a hat, I can be in his office or her office within a matter of, of days or hours. Um, and you know, I, I think that there's, there's a kind of subconscious negative, negative emotion among some founders that, that the angel investor is getting an unfair deal because you know, all they've done is put in the money and they're doing all the work and, and, and by revenge they want you to come they, they want you to come into their office at 2pm 2, 2 next Thursday which you can't possibly do and, and you know, maybe that's a thing locally here in Poland and your your investees in in the UK don't behave like that but do you ever get a sense that they feel that you're the you know you ought to be available for them more than you are no no, and I'd, I'd surprised you say that actually, Richard. Maybe I just I make sure that those rules are put in place earlier earlier on. Maybe the, or maybe the people just feel I'm so busy anyway they dare to ask me. I don't know, but I know there are there's hardly any time do I feel I've been nagged or people pushing me too hard to do things. People generally can't. I mean, Alex Shade, you know, Vantage Power, had to remind me today to answer an email he'd sent me a week ago, but I am on holiday at the moment, you know. <laughs> so, um, so no, I haven't met that, Richard. So I'm, I'm sorry that you have. Maybe that's something to do with the Polish-British divide. No, no, I, 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 I think that, you know, the, there's also a lesson to be learned, and I'm not quite sure how we can share this about the sort of the professionalism of the angel investor that is possibly and do you think you're a professional along or the the process of doing it with the cambridge angels and representing marshall's because it's, it's not called marshall's group it's martlet is it martlet martlet is the brand which is the investment off the uh, balance sheet of the marshall's company yes the, the family it's like a family office but it comes off a corporate balance sheet it's called martlet yeah because there's, there's there's one way of doing it, which is my way, which I'm not sure I'd recommend, which is the learning by doing, and the other way of doing it is by bringing professionals who tell you what to do. And I, you know, I I reference you as being a a more professional angel investor because you know somehow I see the outcome in terms of those those wonderful confidential, unfortunately, Vantage Power board meetings where I, I wish I could show them to other people to show them how they ought to be done because it all seems very well, very well organized. But did you, was it learning by doing or did someone say? Uh, it, no, no. The, the, well, the angel investing, I think I, I think I said to somebody the other day, I've probably done my 10,000 hours now and I don't know if you've ever heard the 10,000 hours. They say that if you pick up a violin, you can play it well in 10,000 hours. That's and I Mal think it's just... Mal that's Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outsiders, isn't it? It's... it's that's where the ten thousand hours. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're more learned than I am, Richard. Over. <laughs> you're, you're, well, you're, you're richer than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing to do with it. It's not to do with wealth. It's to do with enjoying life, isn't it? Surely. I hope nobody at the end of this podcast thinks that you need to be wealthy to be an angel investor or that you're doing it for wealth. It, that isn't the case at all. I must get that across. You do it for fun. I think the answer is you have to be like Peter Cowley, right? <laughs> to do it my way, exactly. Yes. Angel of the year, angel of the year. 
Yeah, but, but, but coming back to the ten thousand hours, so it's just it's practice. It's the fact that I've, you know, I am obviously somewhat older than you. I've set up loads of businesses, possibly more than you. So, I've, and I've sat on, and also been involved in charities in a very big way. So, I've been chair of five charities and I've been treasurer of a couple of them. And so, I've done just stuff with people and businesses and different varieties of business for so long, in so many different ways. So that's on that's on the management, non-exec management side. On the side of the angel investing, it's just you know, just time and the number of deals. I mean, I've had four deals come in today, for instance. You know, um, none of which I'll probably look at. But, so there's just stuff floating around the whole time. Just I'm throwing time at it, and and what must rub off from that is is learning and experience. Yes, I mean, and I'd, I'd say that you know it's something that I didn't recognise when I was when I was I don't know my early twenties is that you know, even if the person who's got experience is someone you don't agree with, and even if you don't share their values and you don't share their insights, you can still learn a lot from doing from hanging out with people with experience because you know even as you disagree with them, you you become aware of processes that you hadn't thought of, for example. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Just mix with the right people. And you pointed out the Cambridge Angels. I've learned so much from the Cambridge Angels. It's a group of about 60, you know, probably 40% of, sorry, 40 of those, two-thirds are, have had tech entrepreneurial exits. And the amount I've learned in the, in the five or six years I've been involved there is so much. Something that, you know, you, 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 I don't know if you're the godfather of angel investing in Krakow, maybe that's too much, Richard, but you must be teaching a whole stack of other people. But imagine if there were 10 or 20 or 60 of you in Krakow, how much information and experience spread around the area? Well, I, 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 I certainly don't. I mean, I think there's also the, there's the role of the foreigner here in in Poland is more significant than, I mean, obviously Cambridge is, you know, famous for sucking in talent from all over the world. And, you know, I think it's something that Cambridge can be very proud of is its openness to foreign and non-British ideas, particularly at a time like this. But I, I, I think that somehow foreigners get a slightly bigger status than they deserve in terms of their economic impact, just because, you know, we bring in a certain, you know, global perspective that Poland was denied Thanks to thanks to communism and you know the bad things that came with it. So you know I I, I don't know I, I, I think that you know you, we get slightly more credit as foreigners here than we deserve to some extent. I don't know if you agree with that, Sam. <laughs> I I think we definitely get a lot more credit than than we should. But at the, at the same time, uh, foreigners I think are are providing a key service here in terms of. Uh, bring in best practices and and outlooks from you know places like Cambridge and Silicon Valley and other places. Actually, Peter, that's one question. I, I think we're, we're, we've we've gone beyond. Uh, we had a little break in the middle due to a technical difficulty. But Peter, do you, do you have much contact with foreigners in Cambridge? Oh yeah, absolutely, tremendous amount of foreigners. The students who come over, postgrads. Uh, entrepreneurs who end up in Cambridge, either because they've just decided it's a place to be based, because of the, uh, the the support ecosystem, and of course in London as well. I mean, if you take Vantage Power, I think I think there's a board up on the wall now. I think that half the staff of Vantage Power were not born in the UK. Over half the staff of Arachnus were not born in the UK. No, my whole life is, is full of people who are, who are not born, are not Anglo-Saxon UK people. Yeah, and and. That's, and- Yes, yeah, so, so certainly from my perspective, it's something that I keep on ramming home that historically, uh, Krakow and Poland were very much international trading centers. And I think that, 
you know, there's, it's, it's such a, particularly as, you know, there's this sort of combination of sort of like right-wing free market and nationalist and, uh, and, and uh, to use a, a bad word, racist seem to be bundled together. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a free marketeer. I'm certainly, certainly into, into entrepreneurship. But I, I think that the nice thing about the startup and entrepreneurship community is how almost everyone sees the value of Japanese, Brazilian, American, Canadian, Irish, whatever technology. It's just like you don't really think in national terms anymore, do you? Not at all. No, I don't think that way at all. No. Um, not not in that. I mean, not in my working life as working with entrepreneurs and angel and angels. I probably do in other areas, like you know, when I play bridge <laughs> in Cambridge. But no, it's very well, very. Well, you, you, you'll you'll never play bri- bridge with a pole, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they are they known for doing it a different way or something? Or? My, my, actually, my my daughter Helena, who's now eighteen, when she was thirteen to fifteen went to a, a lower secondary school which had a bridge specialization. It's the only school in Poland that specialized in bridge. And so they produced bridge teams. And um, and I, I think she, she's in hol- on holiday in Croatia right now, but she'd be mortified to know that my business partners won't play bridge with her because she's Polish. <laughs> she's Polish because she, she's so good, I guess, is she? <laughs> well, actually, she wasn't part of the bridge specialization. She's she's very good at magic and conjuring. So, so I, think that, <laughs> I think I'd be very careful about playing card games with magicians because <laughs> that's not a bad way to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I, 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 it's getting. It's getting. It's it's now um, twenty two forty six here in Krakow, which is the same in France. With your view of. Mont Blanc. Like, is Mont Blanc illuminated? Can you see it at night, or is it just? I, I, you cannot see it no, because at the moment there's no. I can't see the moon actually. No, looking out. No, I can't tell. Sorry, not from this view. Okay, no. can you give us any other little personal detail to make sure that people realise we're not sitting in the same studio lying? Um, what can I tell you? I've got shorts on because it's been a lovely day here. My wife's upstairs wondering when this thing's going to finish. If you can come back down to bed. Uh, well. I was going to tell you, I've got my hybrid electric vehicle outside, uh, not managing to find somewhere to plug it in to charge it up here in France. Uh, what else do you want to know? <laughs> I think I think there's a three pieces of information that you couldn't have possibly made up. <laughs> so, so what, 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 what? Especially the wife waiting for you, part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, as you know, I'm long divorced, but I, I hope in ten years' time. I could make a very inappropriate remark, but I think I'll just I'll hand over to Sam to wrap this up. Good. Okay. Well, well, Peter, thank you very much for the insights. I think that um, you know anyone who's who's in the Eastern European market looking for um, what top investors are looking for, um, not necessarily at the at the venture capital range, but definitely at the angel investor stage, which I think is definitely where Poland needs to develop. Um, I think this is great insights and, uh, you know, also, um, you know, your your ideas on, um, you know, what your goals should be as, as an entrepreneur and, and thinking, um, you know, first about your marketplace and what problem you're solving, I think is, is great insight. So uh, thanks again for joining us. And uh, uh, Richard, thank you again, as always, for um, uh, bringing, bringing in your... Uh, your contacts this show and and then finally thank you project casual image listener for um 
uh, invest in your own time, whether you're in Poland, as most of our market is, but also one of the other 80 plus countries around the world that are listening to the show. Um, I hope this was insightful for you in terms of one of the world's top uh, uh, angel investors, especially in the UK, um, you know, angel investor of the year, Peter Cowley, thinks you should be doing in terms of growing your business. So thanks again for taking the time and I uh, look forward to seeing you on another show, Project Kajimesh. Yes, uh, good, good night. And remember, if you're a liar or you can't listen, don't get in touch with Peter. But if you can listen and you tell the truth and you've got a great business idea, get in touch with Peter. Which you can do through our website. So not all straight at once, not all at once, please. Okay. 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 Good night then. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you very much, both of you. Bye. Thank you for showing your support for innovation in Europe. Tell other innovators about the entrepreneurial movement by leaving a review in iTunes. For detailed show notes and community updates, visit projectkazimierz.com.